welcome to last Sunday in 2023 as we are on the crest of a brand new year, 2024. It's a very special time. Uh, we've just come through the Christmas holiday and enjoyed the blessing of that season. And now we're on the verge of ushering in a brand new calendar year. And I trust that as you look back at 2023, you're able to say with me that God has certainly been good. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> well, that's two of you. God has been good uh, in 2023. Pastor's away this morning, and uh, we are praying for him, uh, he and Mary, and their safe return. Uh, from being out of town and enjoying time with family. And so I, I trust that they will be in your thoughts and your prayers as he travels back to us. Little Johnny was uh, sitting in the morning service and at the conclusion of the service, he came clear from the back of the auditorium because he wanted to shake the hand of the pastor. And when it came his turn and pastor shook out his, uh, stuck out his hand, little Johnny shook his hand and said, you know, preacher, when I grow up, I'm gonna give you $500. And the pastor said, well, Johnny, that's awful nice, but why would you do that? And Johnny said, well, because my daddy says you're the poorest preacher we've ever had. <laughs> so I trust that you don't leave this morning uh, saying that, but it, it truly is a, a privilege for me to be able to speak, uh, to open God's word and to share um, some thoughts with you that the Holy Spirit has impressed upon my heart and life. This is a time of decision for many people. Maybe you've made New Year's resolutions already. Uh, maybe those will last for the year. Maybe they'll last for a day or so if you're like me. Um, but it's a time of decision for many people. What is this new year and the opportunities going to look like? Maybe you're asking yourself, what am I going to do differently in this year to come? For most of us, the beginning of this new year is going to require us to make some choices. In fact, the truth of the matter is that life is a series of choices, is it not? Your life, just like mine and everyone else's in this room, involves constant decision-making. Uh, you exercise your ability to choose this morning when you decided to get up out of bed and to come to church, and we're so glad that you did. Um, you looked in the mirror, and you decided whether you looked appropriate or not. And for most of you, all of you, uh, you did a good job. You made the right choice. You chose which way to go when you came and whether or not you're wanting to obey the traffic laws. And we'll just put that to rest right there. Uh, many of the choices that we make are relatively inconsequential. But there are some other choices that perhaps are more life-changing. Uh, young people make a choice as to whether uh, they will follow a certain career path. And if that career path requires extra training, then they have to decide which college they're going to attend in order to pre best prepare for their career. Another important choice is if and when uh, we will marry or stay single. And if we choose to marry, uh, if so, to whom? Some years ago, I ran across the story of a young lady who took her fiance home to meet her parents. After dinner, her mother told her father to find out about the young man. And so the father invited the fiance into his study for a talk. So what are your plans, the father asked the young man. And he replied, I'm a biblical scholar. A biblical scholar. Hmm, the father said. Admirable, but what do you plan to do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? I will study, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring such as she deserves, asked the father. I will concentrate on my studies, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And children, asked the father, how will you support children? 
Don't worry, sir, he said. God will provide, replied the fiancé. The conversation proceeded like this, and each time the father questioned, the young idealist insisted that God would provide. Later that evening, the mother asked, Honey, how did it go? To which the father replied, He has no job, no plans, and he thinks I'm God. (laughs) Give it a second. Give it a second. Maybe your decision is whether or not to start a family once you're married. Maybe it's a career choice that will alter the course of your life. But the truth is this this morning, that we all make choice after choice after choice. Perhaps there is someone here this morning, and for you, this new year will be the year that you make a clear choice as to whether or not you will believe God enough to trust him, to forgive your past, And cleanse you of your sins and come into your heart and life, choosing to accept by faith the gift of eternal life by believing in what Jesus did on the cross and that he did it for you is the single most important decision you will ever make. May I encourage you not to delay making that most important of all decisions. And perhaps that's a choice you've already made. If you've already done that, maybe the choice you will make this year will be simply to let go and let God have control of every area of your life. Your marriage, your finances, your parenting, choosing to follow God's way is the key, the Bible says, to peace and purpose and true, lasting joy. No matter the decisions you're facing, God has a special message for you this morning from his word. In fact, his word is full of stories about people who have reached a point of decision. Some chose to follow their own wisdom and decisions uh, proved to be nothing less than a disaster. But then there are some who simply chose to follow God and the results for them were drastically different. I want us to look at a particular group of people this morning and the decision point that they came to whether they would choose to follow God and trust him and how that impacted them. Exodus chapter 14 is where we'll be looking this morning. If you have your Bibles or the device that you read your scripture on, I encourage you to turn there for just a few moments and look with us at the book of Exodus. Here in chapters 13 and 14 in particular, we see the event in the life of the people of God that actually gives the book its name. The Exodus or the exit from bondage in Egypt. The event of the Exodus uh, was when God took Moses and he caused him to go to Pharaoh and to plead for the release of his people. And after 10 plagues and much, uh, you know, much regret, Pharaoh finally decides I've had enough. And so Moses, you take the Israelites and you leave Egypt, get out of here and go wherever you want to go. Well, God had a plan, did he not? God had a place for the Israelites. And it was Moses' job to lead this group of people out of bondage across the wilderness uh, through a, a long series of events into the land that God had promised, God had prepared just for them. Well, you know the story, and we won't take time to, to give the story uh, detail by detail because you're familiar, if you've been in church at all or Sunday school at all, you're familiar with the story of the Exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. But they leave Egypt and they head toward Canaan and with their newfound freedom and all of their earthly possessions, they begin their journey toward a new home, a place that God had promised. But then, as it always seems to happen, they hit a wall. 
And that wall was actually a wall of water. And we found the Israelites here at, at the edge waters of the Sea of Reeds, part of the Red Sea as we know it today. Moses, following God's direction, takes somewhat of a U-turn as they are headed east um, out of Egypt. He takes a, a U-turn because God told him to do just that. And he kind of goes back and he encamps Israel right along the edge waters of this uh, Sea of Reeds or, or the Red Sea, if you will. God had a reason for this, and we see this in verse 2 of this chapter, but I want to read just a few verses from chapter 14 if you'll follow along, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pyaroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will see uh, and this and say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh. Here's the reason. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and he took his armies with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all of the other chariots of Israel with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly or in rebellion, if you will, uh, with a high hand, your version may say. The Egyptians pursued uh, with all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped uh, by the sea. And, and so let me kind of uh, encapsulate what's happening here. Pharaoh decides to let Moses leave with the Egyptians or with the Israelites. So they pack up all of their stuff. And you can imagine what a chore this would have been. Uh, large families, lots of animals, uh, lots of possessions. What they had, they packed all of those up and, and they head out of Egypt going toward the land of promise. And God had a plan, and so he tells Moses, look, I want you to kind of take a little bit of a U-turn here, and I want you to, to go back toward Egypt, actually. And if I were to have been Moses, I would have said, God, are you serious? <laughs> you really, is this really your plan? But I want you to go back toward Egypt just a little ways, and I want you to, to encamp here in between this set of mountains and this Egyptian fortress and the Red Sea. That's where I want you to encamp the, the people of Israel right there in a place that I've appointed you. And so Moses obediently does what God tells him to do and Israel camps there. Now, I don't know about you, but if I would have been one of these Israelites that had been in bondage in Egypt and I headed out with all of my family and all of my stuff and I'm headed toward this land of promise that God had told me about, Moses had told me about, that God had told him, and then we take a U-turn, and I'm, I'm headed back toward Egypt. Ladies, I know you're thinking of your husband right now when you, know, he, you try to give him directions and he just won't follow. Guys, we can talk about that later. But if, if, I, if I would have headed back toward Egypt, I, I think I would have had to scratch my head a little bit and say, wait, wait a minute, uh, we're going the wrong way, Moses. But Israel encamped just the same, just as God had directed Moses. They encamped there by the sea. And God's reason was this. What, what verse 2 of chapter 14 tells us is that when Pharaoh sees this, what he'll assume is that the Israelites are confused. They're disoriented. They're, they're lost. 
for all practical purposes. They're lost in the wilderness. The wilderness, your version may say, has you know, encircled them and they don't know where they're going. And so now they're headed back to us. Well, in actuality, what happened was God had hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We're told this three times just in the first few verses. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and the lights had come on in Pharaoh's mind. And he says to his wise men, if you want to call them that, what have we done? We've actually just released almost our entire labor force, free labor at that. We've let all of the slaves go. They were serving us. Let's go after them. Imagine what the Israelites must have felt. Well, Scripture tells us that when they realized that Pharaoh was following and their hearts were full of fear, because you see, when they got to this Red Sea area, they saw the sea as an obstacle between where they were and where God intended them to be. But God saw the Red Sea as an opportunity to glorify himself and to demonstrate his power. If you look back at chapter 6, and I'll ask you to do that if you want, but I can turn back there for you. Chapter 6, we see that God had already promised um, Israel, had already made some promises to Israel. Chapter 6, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant or my promise to them. Uh, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God had promised them a land in which they would dwell to possess it for themselves. God had given them their freedom from bondage. God had even promised to destroy their enemies. But if you're familiar with the story, you will remember that no sooner had the Israelites left Egypt, Pharaoh comes to his senses and he realizes that his labor force has left. They vacated the premises and so God hardens his heart and he takes his armies and he starts out after the Israelites. And now here they are. They assume that God had brought them out here to die. From what they can see, there is literally no escape. Isn't that just like us sometimes? Ever find yourself saying this, God, I've listened to you. I believed your word. I've even chosen to obey it. And this is your idea of a plan. This is sovereign wisdom. A couple weeks ago, Pam and I were in the mall in Ashland just doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, what, what every husband's favorite thing is to do, right? And uh, we passed by the area where parents can take their little ones and, and get a picture with uh, Santa Claus. And here were the parents uh, ready to take their picture. They're, they're waiting on a long line, uh, waiting their turn. Their little ones are all dressed up, and it seemed that every single one of the children were crying at the same time. You've worked in a children's nursery, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All of the babies cried just because everybody else was crying. 
And so all of the kids were, were crying, and all whether they were afraid of Santa Claus, or they were tired of waiting, or they didn't want to be dressed up, whatever the reason was, it was kind of comical. You know, Santa was about to have a meltdown. The photographer was just trying his best to get the shot, and the parents' uh, faces said it all. This was a bad idea. Uh, so you can imagine Israel. They're, they're here at the, at the crest of the Red Sea. Uh, the Egyptian army is behind them. Wilderness and mountainous terrain is to the left and to the right of them. And in front of them is the unknown, represented by this massive body of water. They felt stuck. They assumed that there was no escape. God had brought his people to a moment of choosing, a decision point, if you will. Here they were with all their families, all their animals, all their stuff having assumed that the life of slavery was behind them and the promised land lay ahead only to find themselves between the sea in front, the desert and mountains on either side and Pharaoh and his best military in the back, coming in hot, if you will. They had to make a choice. Do they believe God and his plan or do they give up in fear and allow the enemy a victory? Perhaps you found yourself in the same Situation. Well, maybe you aren't standing in front of a sea and you're not being pursued by an army of the highest, highly trained military, but you face the decision because of your circumstances. Maybe there seems to be no place to turn, no way to get help. And that decision boils down to this. Do I trust God enough to follow him in his plan or not? In response to their complaining about God's intention for them, Moses gives them three pieces of advice, and I want to share them with you this morning. They're actually found in the 13th verse of chapter 14. We could go on and we could read uh, the events that they began to unfold. We've talked about those, but down in verse 13, Moses said to the people who were complaining, and, and their complaint was this. You, you know the story. Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Because if you know anything about Egyptian history, they were obsessed with death. And they built huge monuments to bury their leadership. And, and there were graves everywhere, but, but they were in the desert, and there was plenty of room for more graves. And so the Israelites say to Moses, seriously, you brought us out here to die? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least we had a roof over our heads and, and a job to support our families. Yes, it was slavery, but now we're out here and we're stuck. And we have no, seemingly no way out. Israel was going to choose to trust God and follow his plan to safety and victory. And here were three things that they needed to do that. Moses gives them to them in verse 13. And Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. I feel allow me to for just a few moments. I want to kind of bring some modern terminology to these three commandments that Moses gives to the Israelites and, and make it applicable to maybe perhaps your situation today. Number one, Moses says, fear not. Can we simply say it like this? When at the crossroad of decision, when it comes time to make a choice to follow God in his plan or go our own way, don't fear, just have faith. 
Don't fear, just have faith. Now, I was in a previous message some time ago, we kind of made account, if you will, of the number of times that this phrase, fear not or be not afraid, is found in the Old Testament, and it's numerous. Because God knows our tendency when we're out of control, when when things are, are beyond our ability to handle, that we oftentimes are paralyzed by fear, are we not? But instead of being fearful, if we're going to follow God in his way, we need to choose faith over fear. Now, let's be totally honest here. Let's be totally fair. The Israelites had some valid reasons to be afraid, did they not? We talked about some of those. Uh, Pharaoh and his armies were uh, behind them. But I believe that, that the armies of Egypt did not strike fear into the Israelites' hearts just because they were a mighty army. Now, true, the Israelites were in no condition to be prepared to fight against the Egyptians. But I believe when the Israelites looked back behind them and they saw the Egyptian army, the Egyptian army represented everything that their life had been up to this point. They had been enslaved in bondage oppressed, persecuted, hungry, impoverished, in despair, seemingly hopeless with no way out. And the army there that was behind them was a representation of what their life before freedom looked like. And as for Pharaoh, well, he controlled their daily lives completely. And he had lied by telling them that they could leave only to pursue them and try to take them captive again. Sound familiar? Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Put your finger there in Exodus chapter 14 and turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us a snapshot of our lives before encountering God and his grace. And here's what God's word says. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. When I look at the Israelites standing here at the Red Sea and I see the Egyptian army behind them, I'm reminded of this, that everything that they knew about life up to this point was represented by what was behind them. If I could give you any advice as to how you can choose to to live in faith instead of fear, it would be this. I choose not to fear what God's grace has put behind me. I choose not to fear what God's grace has put behind me. You see, for some of you this morning, you are paralyzed by your past. Even though you've received Christ as your Savior, even though he's forgiven your sins, doesn't God's word say in John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. So you, for, you are forgiven, and because you are forgiven, according to Romans chapter 6, you are free in Christ. 
yet you remain paralyzed because of your past. You see, when the Israelites looked at Egypt, at the Egyptian army, all they could remember was the oppression of Egypt. And that struck fear into their hearts. They didn't want to go there again. And so Moses said, listen, I want you not to fear. Rather, I want you to have faith. I want you to to be able to say, I will not fear what God's grace has put behind me. Secondly, there's another valid reason that Israel had to be fearful, and that was this. To the right and to the left of their position were mountains. And in those mountains, if you know anything about archaeology and Egyptian history, in those mountains were small outposts or encampments of none other than the Egyptian army. So it was not safe for them to travel to the right or the left. And in fact, farther north were the Philistines. And if you know anything about the Philistines, they were the army that constantly bombarded, constantly came against the Israelites, even up to the time of David and beyond. So the mountains to the right and the desert as well, to the right and to the left, was not safe passage for Israel. Literally, there were dangers everywhere they turned. You know what your Bible says this morning? That Satan is a lion. And he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He pulls out all the stops, does he not? Satan spares no expense Uh, none of his tools in order to bombard us as believers constantly in order to destroy our effectiveness for the work of Christ. All around us, the enemy has traps. It's a minefield out there, is it not? Scripture tells us that we are, as believers, we are at war. We're at war. It is a constant daily struggle against temptation. But I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. When Israel looked from, uh, to the right and to the left, all they saw was opposition, mountains and desert. When you look to the right and the left in your life, perhaps this morning, all you see is the, the tactics of the enemy. But if I can encourage you to do one thing uh, with regard to that, I would encourage you to say this. I choose not to fear what the enemy raises around me. I choose not to fear what the enemy raises around me. I choose not to fear what God's grace has put behind me. And thirdly, as we look at the position of the Israelites here, uh, we see this, that in front of them was the Red Sea. You know the story. And archaeologists and scholars are up in the air about where the crossing actually took place and how deep the water was. But this was, you know, that you can't get away with saying that this was not anything other than a miraculous work of God. But for the Israelites, looking at this body of water, uh, no one had been there most likely before. They didn't know how deep the water was. They didn't know how long it would take to cross. They didn't know if themselves or their family were able to swim if need be. It represented the uncertainty of what lie ahead. And perhaps you're here this morning and your fear is this. I don't know what the future holds. Well, I gotta tell you, I don't either. But I know who holds the future, Amen. And we can choose to remain fearful about what is ahead of us and its uncertainty, or we can simply step out in faith and choose to follow God's way. 
Remember that faith is the substance, Scripture says, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 through 34. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. God clothes them. They don't toil or spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things will be added unto you. There is literally no reason to fear the uncertainty of the future because God holds the future. Amen? In fact, God is already in your future this morning. Can I explain that? Absolutely not. Can you understand it? Not fully, but the fact of the matter is this. God already knows the road ahead. It only makes sense then to trust the one who makes the way. Psalm says this, the steps of a righteous man are ordered or strategically placed by none other than the Lord himself. In fact, verse 6 of Psalm 1 says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You see, Israel had come to a point of decision. And they needed to be able to choose to not allow the past to overtake them in fear and paralyze them. They needed not be fearful of what the enemy would raise around them because God was more powerful than that. And they certainly needed to be fear, fearful of what they could not control, the uncertainty of the future. Now, I don't know what you're fearful or anxious about this morning. Perhaps you're worried about what 2024 holds. Well, that's in a day. <laughs> um, don't, don't need to be afraid. But I, I don't know what 2024 holds for me as well. But I do know this, that God has a plan. And his word is clear on that. I know, Jeremiah 29 says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to bring about your success and not your failure. Perhaps the decision you need to make this morning, first and foremost, is this. To choose faith over fear. Don't fear, choose faith. But there's something else that we see here in this passage, and that is this. Moses had a second command for Israel, and that command was to stand still. In other words, not only are we not to be fearful, but to find faith instead of fear, but instead of running, we need to remain. Choose to remain and not to run. In the Hebrew, the word literally means here to position oneself or something in a stationary manner to present unmovable or immovable. Sometimes when faced with a choice to follow God and his plan, we like to run away from God, do we not? Remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? God had a plan and a purpose for Jonah. He wanted him to go and to, and to preach uh, the kingdom and and Jonah was fearful of retaliation. And so you know the story. He gets into a boat and then he's swallowed up by a great fish. And, and the fish spits him out on the uh, seashore. And, and finally he wises up and decides, perhaps I should do things God's way. But oftentimes when God calls us to make a choice to follow him, we are guilty of running away from God. 
Sometimes we are guilty of running ahead of God. Amen? Thinking that we know what's best for us. I love what Warren Wearsby said about this command to stand still. He says this, Moses told the people of Israel to stop. This is often the Lord's direction to the believer in a time of crisis. Despair will cast you down, keeping you from standing. Fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience will tell you to do something now. Presumption will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it's parted. Yet as God told Israel, he often tells us simply to stand still and hold our peace as he reveals his plan. This was truly an exercise in patience for the Israelites because they stood at a time of decision and a decision needed to be made, but they needed to be careful. They needed to choose to follow God's way, not be paralyzed by fear, but not to run away from God and his plan and certainly not to run ahead of God and his plan. Don't run, just remain. So what does it look like for you and I today to remain? Well, I've kind of come up with three things here and I want to share them with you quickly. And that is this. Number one, we're encouraging God's word to remain faithful to the word of God. Psalm 1 is all about that. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but rather his delight, his complete satisfaction is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates, how often? Day and night. He remains, continues in the word of God. Why is that important for us as believers? Because in God's word is where we find God's will. God's will never operates opposite of the direction given by his word. And so if you want to know which way God wants you to go, I would encourage you to do first and foremost one simple thing, and that is to remain true to your time in the word of God because God reveals himself in his word. Remain faithful to the word of God. And look at what happens in Psalm chapter one uh, when we are willing to do this. Psalm 1 goes on to say, he meditates in his all day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. And he compares that to the ungodly and says, the ungodly are not so, but they're rather like the wind, uh, like the, ch uh, the chaff of wheat which, which the wind just destroys and, and does away with. But God, as we said earlier, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And so you see, if you want to know God's direction, if you want to choose the right way, if you want to choose to follow God, I encourage you to remain, instead of running, remain faithful to God's word because he'll reveal himself and his will and his word. Secondly, remain committed to prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says it best, does it not? Be anxious or careful or, if you want to give a modern term, be skittish for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And what is the promise there? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you want to be able to say, I choose to remain instead of running, it requires that you commit to prayer. The result of that is peace. The result of remaining in God's word is wisdom and stability, the result of main, remaining in prayer uh, is peace. And I thought of something else here, and I want to just share it with you. And that is this. I believe that it's important that we remain connected to God's people. 
You know, there's a reason that there's this little verse in the New Testament that says that like this, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but rather be an example of the believer. It is vitally important that you encounter and experience body life as believers. We are meant to do this thing called life together. Amen? Listen, there's a lot that's said by Jesus and the the other writers in the New Testament. There is so much that's said about unity, the unity of the faith, the fellowship of the believers, the koinonia, if you will. When we come together and, and we knit our hearts in prayer and in worship, I would encourage you this morning, if you want to be able to say, I choose to remain instead of running, that you not forget the accountability of your brothers and sisters in Christ and you remain connected to the family. Remain in the word. That's where you get stability and wisdom. Remain faithful in prayer. That's where you get peace. And remain connected to the body. That's where you get encouragement and accountability. So vitally important. If you want to be able to say, I choose to remain and not run. And finally this morning, let me encourage you by saying this. Moses gave Israel one last command as they faced decision to follow God or not. Don't fear, have faith. Don't run, just remain. And Moses said this, see the salvation of the Lord. And I would word it like this. Don't worry, just watch. Don't worry, just watch. I choose to watch and not worry about what I can't control, what is in God's hands already. I choose just to watch as God works. Listen, what's amazing to me as I read this story is what God was doing at night while Israel was obviously sleeping. Because if you remember the story, what Scripture tells us is this, that the cloud and the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites through the wilderness, when they came to this encampment, the angel of the Lord took that cloud and that pillar of fire and he moved it between, back behind and between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And Scripture says, for one, it provided great light and direction. For the other, it basically blinded them and they had no idea what was going on fascinating set of events around this Red Sea crossing and what God was doing even before the waters parted. God was at work. And I don't know how you feel about the movie, The Shack. And I don't really, it's a discussion for another time. I personally enjoyed it. I didn't see it as a theological treatise at all. Um, But the fact of the matter is this, I'm reminded of a scene where the lady who represents what the young man, the main actor, remembers about the fatherly characteristic of God. It, it, she's sitting on the porch and, and he raises the question, you know, what, what are we doing just sitting here? And she says behind shades, you remember this? She says, you have no idea what I'm doing right now. Now, of course, she represents God. And again, that's a discussion for another time. But, but the fact of the matter is this, we actually have no idea what all God is doing right now. Because whether we acknowledge it or, or, or believe it or not, it doesn't change the fact that God is at work, amen? And God was at work in the lives of the Israelites. Here they were oppressed by an army that reminded them of everything in their past. They had nowhere to go. They faced the Red Sea and the waters had not yet even parted. Yet all night long, read the story for yourself, all night long, you know what happened? God had blinded the Egyptians and they couldn't see what was going on in front of the Israelites. And while he was doing that, All night long, the scripture says that a strong wind blew and it began to part the waters of the Red Sea. 
to the point that when time came to cross, Israel crossed over on completely dry ground. Does that fascinate you? I think it's incredibly fascinating. The point is this, God was at work even when the Israelites didn't realize it. But God had already told Moses exactly what he was going to do, did he not? I'm going to bring Pharaoh to his knees and all of Egypt will know that I am the Lord your God. And in fact, I'm doing it in such a way that Israel will see for themselves that I am great because I'm God. And because I'm God, I am great. You know, sometimes we reach a point of decision and we just have to be willing to watch as God works. I've been like that at times in my life. I'm sure if I were to ask around the room, you would have to say the same thing. But the reality is this. Oftentimes, God brings us to a point where we can do nothing for ourselves. And when he's able to do that, and we're able to watch as he works out his plan in our lives, we can do nothing but give glory to the only person who deserves it. And that's God himself. Israel was positioned in such a way that they were helpless and hopeless. There was no escape. The army of the, of the Egyptians was behind them. Rough terrain, uh, uncertain terrain on either side. The Red Sea was in front of them, and that was uncertain as well. But God had a plan. God had a plan for their deliverance. And Moses said, listen, if you will just watch and not worry, God will work out his plan. Can I encourage you with the very same advice this morning? Perhaps you're at a point of decision and you don't know which way to turn. You don't know what the right answer is. And it's frustrating and, and it can cause fear, just like we've talked about. But the fact of the matter is this, God would not have you to worry. Instead, God would have you just to watch as he works. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that our pastor has used time and time again in his study, the letters entitled Dear Paul. Verse 58 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, Therefore, or in light of the fact that God will eventually, in his own time, in his own way, give us a glorified body at, his, at a resurrection, in light of that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know this, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can I just encourage your heart this morning? If you're at a point of decision and you need to make a choice, Perhaps what you need to say is, God, in all honesty, I'm at my wit's end. I'm tapped out. I don't have any answers, but you have every answer I'd ever need. And so while I'm choosing not to worry, I'm going to watch as you work out your plan and your will for my life. And God does have a plan for you. Did you hear that? The God of the universe honestly cares about your past, your present, and your future. God has a plan for you. May you be willing just to watch as he works out his plan in your life. You go to the end of chapter 14, and we won't do that for the sake of time this morning, but you see this, that when God brought this plan to fruition, and all of the Egyptian armies were destroyed, and the water had covered them over, Verse 30 says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord. 
And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They saw with their own eyes. They were willing to watch and not worry. The story is told as we close this morning of uh, a missionary. My daughter Grace is here and she's just, uh, I'm not going to ask her to sing, Grace. You don't worry. I'm not going to ask you to sing or anything. But um, she just graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And when we took her there to, um, to interview and to view the campus uh, three and a half years ago, we went into the chapel. If you've ever been to the, the chapel on campus at Moody, outside in the foyer is a huge brick wall. And on this wall are name after name after name of missionaries that Moody itself as an institution has sent out all over the world. And there's a little, I don't remember if it's a star or a little mark of some kind that is beside the names of some of these missionaries because they represent those who were martyred for the sake of Christ. From that very school. In 1932, John and Betty were missionaries that graduated from Moody Institute or uh, Moody Bible College in Chicago. And they were sent to inland China. They decided rather than be fearful, they would follow God in his way, no matter what that would mean. If you know anything about the history of missions in China, uh, during the 1930s in particular was one of the, the worst persecutions of Christianity by the communists in China uh, in recorded history. And as history would unfold, both John and Betty Stam lost their lives uh, for the sake of the gospel in inland China as they served there because they chose to follow Christ. John writes these words, shall we beat a retreat and turn back from our high calling in Christ Jesus or, or do we dare advance as God commands in the face of the impossible? Let us remind ourselves that the Great Commission was never qualified by clauses calling for advance only if funds were plentiful and no hardships or self-denial was involved. On the contrary, he says, we are told to expect tribulation and even persecution, but with it victory in Christ. His wife, Betty, wrote a letter to her family just before their public execution in the town square where they were serving. This is the last known recorded correspondence from Betty Stam. And she writes these words, Lord, I give up all of my own plans and purposes, all my desires, my own desires and hopes, and I accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, my call utterly to thee to be thine forever and work out thy will in my life at any cost now and forever. What decision is God calling you to make this morning? Are you going to be willing to follow God's way? Are you going to be willing to say, I choose faith over fear? I choose to remain over running. God has a plan for your life, and he wants so desperately you to be willing to follow his plan. May we be willing to do just that this morning. Choosing to follow is not easy. It requires surrender. It requires trust. And oftentimes it requires us to make the ultimate sacrifice because following God's way is the right way.